Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, Psalm 110, verses 1 through 5, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and Luke 24, verses 44 through 53. Many shows today will start each episode with a recap. A recap reminds the audience of what has happened before and the plot lines that will likely be picked up in that day's episode. They also catch people up if they've missed an episode. Most other genres don't have a recap. If you go to a play, there will not be a recap after the intermission. With most novels, if it's in a series, there will not be a recap at the beginning of the next novel, even if it's been years since the previous novel has come out. However, Dr. Luke gives us a recap of the ending of Luke's gospel when he starts the book of Acts. This is a unique situation in the Bible, so it's worth looking at on this Ascension Sunday. Of course, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts to his friend Theophilus, and in the early church, they were treated as a single book. Luke is thought to be the only Gentile author of the Bible. He was close, a close companion of Paul's and was even with him when he died. When Luke started his second book, he did a recap of the first, retelling the story of Jesus' ascension. Interestingly, Luke is the only biblical author to depict the ascension, though others refer to it. And even in these two passages where he does so, Dr. Luke emphasizes not the ascension itself, but rather the role of the disciples. Because both passages have the same author, the same audience, and tell the same story, for the purposes of my sermon, I'm going to treat both our Gospel reading and New Testament reading as a single passage. As an aside, some people are troubled by the differences between the four Gospels. How can stories of the life of Jesus vary so much from one writer to another and yet all be true? Well, just look at the Ascension story in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. Both are written by the same person for the same person, and yet share different details. Clearly, if a person can tell one event in two different yet accurate ways, then it shouldn't be a problem at all for four writers to tell the story of Jesus in different ways. In fact, I would say it'd be a problem if they didn't vary from each other. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled sermon. I stated last week that Jesus still has a physical body right now. How do we know this? The ascension record shows that he returned to heaven in his body. Acts 1.9 says, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The disciples witnessed him physically ascend to heaven. He didn't leave his body behind. When we die... Our spirits leave our bodies only to receive new bodies in eternity. Like Jesus, we won't be disembodied spirits. It's important that the disciples saw him go. They knew he was gone, and the mission was now up to them. 
The disciples weren't to be sitting around waiting for their Lord to return. They were to get busy about his work. That work is one of the major themes of both ascension stories. Both ascension stories highly emphasize the role of the disciples as witnesses. Luke 24, 48 calls the disciples witnesses, as does Acts 1, verse 8. We've talked about being witnesses not that long ago, about how it involves seeing and then telling what was seen. But the witness role expected of the disciples was going to demand their total allegiance and would not be without cost. There are two key aspects of their commissioning as witnesses that comes out in both passages. First is the breadth of the mission, and the second is the empowering that was given. Both passages have the widest possible breadth for the witnessing mission, the entire planet. Luke 24, 47 says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Acts 1.8 says, You shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Never before has Yahweh pursued a relationship with all people. The story of the Bible has times when God dealt directly with just one or two individuals, like Adam, Noah, or Abraham. There's also the story of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. Occasionally, Yahweh showed interest in other nations, such as through Jonah's mission to Nineveh and Isaiah's prophecies to the nations. But never before has the entire world been invited into a full relationship with the one true God. Even when sending out the disciples in their first missionary trips apart from Jesus, he told them not to go to the Gentiles. But now, the whole world needs to know. Of course, this was always the plan. Israel was designed to be a witness to the nations. There was never a time when Yahweh didn't love all people. But even then, Israel had a special relationship with God. He spoke through them. But now, through the ministry of the disciples going to all nations, suddenly they were all on the same footing with God. No people group was elevated above any other, and none were to be left out. But notice that in addition to the global breadth of the witnessing mission, there was also an explicit direction or plan. Acts 1.8 says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Luke 24, 47 also says that the witnessing should start in Jerusalem. As New Testament scholar John Pohill wrote, the story of Jesus led to Jerusalem. The story of the church led from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of the apostolic church. It's where it all started. Of course, this makes sense since that is where most of the witnesses were to Jesus' death and resurrection. From Jerusalem, the surrounding area of Judea was next on the list. This consisted of the cities and towns closest to the home base of Jerusalem, and so it was a natural next step. Samaria was also close, but as we know from Jesus' encounter of the Samaritan woman at the well, 
as well as his parable of the Good Samaritan, that was basically a foreign land as far as the disciples were concerned. The people of Samaria had long ago abandoned their faith in Yahweh for foreign idols and had intermarried with the surrounding nations, so they were no longer considered full Jews. For this reason, I interpret Acts 1.8 as saying Samaria followed Judea, though it's possible to understand both as equally being the next step after Jerusalem. And finally, as the rings on the surface of the water move out from the center, we have the ends of the earth. Of course, this is explicitly Gentile lands. Even though these instructions from Jesus were very specific, the disciples still seem to struggle with the idea of witnessing to Gentiles. We don't see much biblical record of the original 12 witnessing to Gentiles beyond Philip preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch and Peter preaching to the centurion Cornelius and his household. There are plenty of Christian traditions of the disciples traveling as far as Africa or India to spread the gospel, but mostly what we have from the Bible is Paul's missionary trips preaching throughout the entire Gentile world, even Rome itself. So while the mission of witnessing continues to this day, even in the first generation, they succeeded in reaching the world. You may also have heard that Acts 1.8 serves as the organizing verse for the entire book. The first seven chapters are about the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 are about spreading the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And the remaining chapters, which focus primarily on Paul, show the gospel spreading through the known world. I mentioned earlier that in addition to the unlimited breadth of the witnessing mission, both Luke and Acts includes the empowering for that mission. This is vitally important because no witnessing should be done on our own power. If it is, then successful witnessing truly is about how smart and persuasive we are, rather than on the power of the Holy Spirit. If that were the case, then most of us would have no business witnessing. Most of us lack the natural gifts to do it well. Rather than risk inadvertently painting our Lord in a bad light, we should just keep our mouths shut. But that is not the case. We are empowered for the mission, as we'll celebrate next Sunday by the sending of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49 records Jesus telling the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Of course, they couldn't have imagined what was going to happen on Pentecost and after, but power is certainly a good description. This empowering was necessary for the mission they were given. It's also necessary for ours. Like the original disciples, we are clothed in the Holy Spirit. Our mission is no less fraught, so the empowering is no less robust. The mention of the empowering in Acts is particularly interesting because it is Jesus' answer to the question by his disciples. They wanted to know if the time had come for Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel. 
The record in Luke doesn't include this question. It's a fascinating question for a few reasons. First, it shows that even at the very end of his earthly ministry, the disciples were still a little clueless. It's also interesting that it's a simple yes or no question, but Jesus didn't answer it that way. He gives them a two-part answer. The first is that the timing of Israel's restoration isn't for them to know. That indicates that they aren't totally wrong in expecting Christ's kingdom to be established on earth. Though it sounds like they were thinking of a kingdom primarily in Old Testament terms as being a Jewish kingdom. The second part of Jesus' answer is verse 8 that we've been focusing so much of our time on this morning. In other words, the power they will receive and the mission they are given to spread the gospel are both related to the coming kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord is coming at the time of his choosing, but we have work to get ready. Spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth is preparation for the kingdom. If it wasn't clear already, that indicates that the kingdom will be far more multi-ethnic than the disciples understood at that time. No nation or people group should be excluded from the kingdom. All must be invited. Isn't this perfectly in keeping with how God has always worked with mankind? He is doing exactly what he wants done, but he brings us into partnership to do it. We aren't left as spectators. In fact, we have an important role to play. Think of Noah, Abraham, King David, and Mary. Yahweh brought them into his plan and allowed them to play an active role in bringing it about. And as if to say, get on with it, two angels appeared to the disciples and rebuked them for looking into heaven, very much like the women were rebuked at Jesus' tomb for seeking the living among the dead. The angel's statement also relates back to the disciples' question about the kingdom because they also said, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he will definitely return and usher in his kingdom, and his second coming won't be like his first. And I love how the passage ends in Luke with the disciples returning to Jerusalem with great joy and continually worshiping God in the temple. They weren't defeated. They knew this was all part of God's plan. Imagine what a powerful witness that was. By now, they were all well-known in Jerusalem. So the people, to see the followers of the recently crucified Jesus, not just showing themselves publicly, but continuing as a group and worshiping in the temple, must have left everyone scratching their heads. This didn't make sense. This wasn't what they were expecting. Honestly, there is way too much in these two Lucan passages for us to cover it all this morning. But Jesus continues to speak to us through the events of the ascension. He says, I will return one day just as I left to usher in my eternal kingdom. In the meantime, 
I'm preparing a place for you. You should be preparing a place for me. Yes, the task is difficult, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit so you will have everything you need. You are not alone. As we prepare to receive communion on this Ascension Sunday, I pray that we too can rejoice with the disciples in the knowledge that God's plan of redemption is continuing to move forward without setbacks, without delays. Our mission is massive to prepare a place for our Lord's return by witnessing to the entire world. Our empowering is also great. He has given us the Holy Spirit, which we'll learn more about next week. And just like the disciples, the joy in what we have witnessed is our greatest message to a hurting world. Our Lord has gone before us, and he will one day return. I pray that he finds us faithful when he does. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.